if you were even able to listen to it on a flash of a moment, in the flash of a moment, uh, the gospel reading this morning is uh, challenging to say the least. It's hard to follow. It's not one that kind of, it's not a story so much. It's, uh, it's kind of a, a reflection by Jesus. And so uh, I'd like to just give a bit of attention to it in a brief way because we have other places we need to go today. But think of uh, Jesus uh, on this, and um, maybe I'm overstating this. Maybe you, you got it all from the beginning, but uh, Jesus said, what can I compare this generation to? Um, you're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. Uh, this is so much our generation as well. Um, um, we played the flute for you. You did not dance. We sang a dirge. You did not mourn. And what is Jesus talking about? Flutes and dirges and all that. And uh, then he points out that uh, John the Baptist, many people rejected. They just thought he had a demon or you know, just by his attire, he was an odd ball. And so they didn't like that. And Jesus comes, rather than being an ascetic like John, Jesus comes and he, um, he's among everybody and embraces everybody, tax collectors and rejects of all sorts, he's among. And so he gets criticized for being a drunkard and, um, and a, um, um, a glutton. Neither one, in other words, conformed to the preconceived notions of who they should be. Instead, each of them were exactly what God called them to be. And so they were, they were men of their own uh, personhood. And um, they, didn't, they weren't interested in pleasing the world, but in pleasing God. And so Jesus simply offers that as a commentary to them. And then he concludes that thought, but wisdom is proved right by her actions. In other words, uh, you will know us by the fruit we bear and see what kind of fruit that John the Baptist will and does bear and see what kind of fruit I will bear. Now remember, we're in the 11th chapter of the of Gospel of Matthew and there is a building conflict with Pharisees and scribes and others. Jesus is going up against the, uh, the opposition. And so there's tension here and there's, um, there is debate and there is wrestling and there is who is this guy and so on and so forth. But he says, but wisdom will be proved right by her actions. Just see how this all plays out and you can decide by the fruit that is born in my life finally whether, um, you know, whether I have been on the side of God or not. And so then Jesus makes another utterly compelling statement in the midst of this, this bit of uh, reflection that also doesn't have a whole lot of punch, but, uh, but, but, and yet it does. I praise you, Father, Jesus said, Lord of heaven and earth. You've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Except you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom, Jesus said in another place. Um, Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven doesn't require high intellect or lots of degrees after your name or a position of authority in which you uh, have worked and sought to gain. The kingdom of heaven requires faith and humility to grasp. It takes a small-minded person in a kind of counterintuitive way, a a simple-minded person in a counterintuitive kind of way. Simply faith. I trust you, Lord. I don't know how you do it, but I trust you. Trust you with my life and trust, and trust my children with your life. And humility. And Lord, I, I didn't deserve this from you. But thank you for loving me. Faith and humility. You can be wise in the world's eyes 
but hardened and resistant to the gospel, in other words. And then we do come to a place where there's punch and impact, and we've heard this wonderful uh, offering of Jesus uh, in so many kinds of ways. It's a regular part of our early right one service every week. Come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened. I will give you rest. Now remember the conflict, remember the setting, and part of what he's talking to are very religious folks, uh, Pharisees, uh, spiritual leaders, uh, the equivalent of priests and pastors and, and you know, teachers of the Jewish faith, are the, our, our equivalent kind of thing. And he is uh, saying, those of you who are oppressed by the burden of religious legalism, the oughts and shoulds imposed on you by Pharisees and scribes and other church leaders. He says, I'm going to offer you a different yoke. Now, I think we have a picture of a yoke. I like, yeah, there you go. Just if, if anyone doesn't know what a yoke is, I think you probably do. But remember what this looks like. And uh, just by referring, hang on to this picture. Jesus then says, take my yoke. Take my yoke. Learn from me. In contrast to legalism, legalism and the heaviness of the law, my yoke will bring to you blessing. I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So imagine yourself put into that yoke. It's not a very pretty instrument anyway, but you know, uh, not only is it a, was a symbol of being uh, in Judaism, you, you would be yoked to the law, and so the law would force you to conform to proper righteousness. And the better you conform, if you try to break away from the law, you, you get the yoke holding you in. But Jesus is describing a yoke that has a, is a completely different kind of experience. And so in farm terms, you would put an experienced ox on one side of that, or an experienced um, working animal, and you would put the young, inexperienced one on the other, and the inexperienced one will learn from the experienced one how to walk, you know, the straight paths of a furrow, and so on and so forth. So imagine that Jesus saying, I'm going to offer you a yoke, but it's not going to feel burdensome like this heavy piece of wood on you. When you come alongside me, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It won't feel oppressive. You might call it a happy yoke. Uh, it's one that you freely put on your shoulders. And you realize that walking alongside the expert of this, that you will gradually become more and more like this expert. And you will grow in Christ-likeness. I, uh, I lost the source of this quotation, but uh, somebody writing on this idea of being yoked said, if we yoke ourselves to Jesus and live our lives in a walk that is closely linked to him, he will guide us and deliver us from the bondages the world has placed on us. In being yoked to him, he will transform our thinking about how to live in the world without being conformed to the world. Instead, we'll find our freedom and find ourselves being conformed into his image day by day. She goes on, now it must also be said that being yoked to Jesus, to, you begin to learn some spiritual principles that are, are, are clearly opposed, 
opposed to the world's way of thinking. Some of these are faith brings you to love and love brings you to obedience and obedience brings you to freedom. It's counterintuitive, but his service is perfect freedom. So now I hope I've made it clear, she finished, that in yoking yourself to Jesus, you are yoking yourself to God's love. And since divine love never fails you also, you will never fail to come to the place in discipleship where the Father wants you and where you will accomplish his purposes by the power of his spirit and for the glory of his name. Would that we all had ourselves yoked to the yoke of Jesus growing in discipleship and being transformed more and more into his likeness. We approach this yoke with faith, simple faith and humility, which is acknowledgement that I need help. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. It will give you rest and it will sustain you for the whole of your lives. Now, let's do a quick switch here and just not to neglect St. Paul in that also very cumbersome 8th chapter, 7th chapter of Romans. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. If I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good, but as it is, I don't keep the law. He's expressing that same frustration of trying to live out life on your own terms and on your own gumption and on your own power, even if you're trying to be good, you will find yourself utterly failing until you are yoked to the one and only Son of God. And so he concludes that frustrating experience of, well, when I try to do it myself, I'm yoked to the law, I want to keep the law, I want to be good with the law, and I'm trying to do the law, and I just fail over and over again. And the other result if you are pretty good at keeping the law and you say, well, at least I'm not like them. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm faithful to this and I'm doing that and so on and so forth. Then a self-righteousness and an arrogance grows in you. So either way, to be yoked to the law, you lose. I lose. We lose. So Paul will conclude this frustrating experience of trying to be a law keeper on his own terms. And he said, what a wretched man I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And he answers his own question, and may it be our answer as well. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, he found the yoke of love, the yoke of faith, the yoke of Jesus in his own life. And he laid down the yoke of the law and simply became a follower of Jesus. And lo and behold, over time, more and more there's this transformation in Paul and his self-righteousness and arrogance of which he confessed more and more is diminished and he realizes he is a more effective and better keeper of the law from the inside out, from the depths of his heart to the externalities of that as well. Now this is a July 4th weekend when as Christians we have celebrated our heritage as one nation under God. As a nation under God, we will have problems, and obviously we do. And we will have issues, and obviously we do. But it is still acknowledging that those problems and issues require a God-centered response rather than a man-centered solution. A current flashpoint is the, are the illegal border crossings happening from Mexico to California and New Mexico, into New Mexico. 
If you've been following this this week, you have discovered uh, the tragedy and the horror that since October of last year, just a few months ago, more than 50,000 children and youth on their own have tried to make it across the border. They are expecting over 100,000 children and youth to come across the border in 2014. And they acknowledge about three-fourths of these children are not uh, coming from Mexico, but from Central America. So they have made a thousands of miles journey from Honduras and Guatemala and El Salvador. Mexicans as well. And if you follow the news this week, you know that it, this issue escalated again uh, around the city, the town of Murrieta, California, when there are dozens of protesters and um, a rising fear uh, that the immigrants would be released into the local community. And so uh, if you saw it on the news, there was tremendous passion and uh, tremendous expression of anger um, about uh, the, uh, the immigration problem that has not been dealt with. And buses were turned around and could not even go to a, a deportation center there, and they had to go somewhere else. Now, for us, the St. Paul's family, on the one hand, it might seem like that is a long, long place away from here, and why do we need to worry about it? Besides the fact that we are the United States, and we are one nation under God, and so their problem is our problem because they're our brothers and sisters. But this week, we have a mission team as well going to Honduras to a Christian orphanage called the Lamb Institute, run by Susie McCall from Charleston, South Carolina, who's been there for 20 or 25 years, rescuing one child at a time. And we provide our own means, a slice of their meaty pie there as we make trips down there and provide financial support. And I believe it's worthwhile hearing Susie's reflections on this from Honduras as she sees it from the outside looking into this nation of which she too is a proud American. But she writes this, I feel sick, this was on Facebook this week, I feel sick about the mean-spirited, merciless, selfish post on Facebook about those child refugees who are spoiling everybody's 4th of July celebration. And she acknowledges U.S. policy in Central America has contributed heavily to the problems here. That's probably true. Um, it may also be, the, from my standpoint, the, the unresolution of immigration policy by our country and by our Congress. But she acknowledges also the insatiable appetites for pornography and drugs in the United States of America has turned Central America into a killing field. Yes, people are fleeing. Refugees tend to head for the nearest safe place. And in the case of Central America, the safest place, the nearest place is the USA, land of freedom and opportunity. And then she has read other comments on Facebook, and you all know as well that Facebook can be particularly vicious uh, when, it, uh, when people choose to be in their own anonymous way, except now it's the land of stay away or we'll shoot you. And hurry up, Congress, and make some money available so that we can get rid of these piggybackers. She said another Facebook post term. And then she lays the gauntlet down to whoever read this Facebook. Okay, Christian country, founded on biblical principles, one nation under God. Guess what? Jesus loves each and every one of those people at the border and south of the border. He loves them, and he wants his church to care for them. 
Who cares what the government does or does not do? Where is the church, she asked. Where are all those people who are always ranting about how Christian America is? Where are the prosperous megachurches? America herself was once filled with refugees and immigrants and proud of it. And now we post on Facebook, and she's quoting from Facebook, why don't we just shoot them or send them back where they came from? Susie lives in the midst of this context, and so I'm afraid she knows it too well. And she writes also, more than 70% of the children who managed to cross the border were sexually assaulted along the way. A crisis like this one is a great opportunity for the Christian church in America to demonstrate the unconditional, compassionate, merciful, agape love of Jesus Christ. That is our calling, being the incarnate love of God on earth, starting with our language and our attitudes towards the least of these. Poor, desperate people are not our enemies, and they are surely God's friends. Lord, show us how to respond to this crisis in a way that is pleasing to you. Call your church into loving, practical ministry to these traumatized, needy families and children. Open our hearts and hands to help in the name of Jesus. That was her Facebook post. I have no idea how you feel about immigration policy and immigration uh, decisions. Um, but Susie, no doubt, makes some potent points here. I know we are not living right at the border, so this problem can seem far removed. But to look at this in the light of just having celebrated Independence Day two days ago, celebrating this great nation's great heritage, there must be a way we as Christians, wearing the yoke of Christ, the yoke of love, can serve these people coming who are desperate enough to travel those thousands of miles. The border crisis and today's lesson on his yoke brings to mind a time in the gospel when the disciples even pushed away the children who were trying to get close to Jesus. And do you remember how he replied? He rebuked the disciples and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never, never enter it. And he took the children into his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Well, Lord, what would you have us do? I would very humbly offer five suggestions, some more magnificent in scope than others but how about at least persistent heartfelt prayer from us for resolution a cause for persistent prayer to cry out to God to help the little children and to show us how we can become the hands and feet of Jesus and I know this is a tall order but it seems to me we need to repent of our partisanship in Congress over Im Im immigration because it's reaching crisis proportions and work together to create a fair immigration policy, provide an entrance towards citizenship for those already here, and do this policy not based on politics, but based on what is the right and God-loving thing to do. Should we do that? And this is simply a personal plea. I uh, personally react to the 
calling uh, these children and these people aliens as if they were monsters from another planet. I know that is an appropriate title given to them even in, in government documents. But we should call them what they are, and they are illegal immigrants. But they're not aliens. They're neither alien to God, nor should they be aliens to us. And I celebrate that we give financial and hands-on support to the Lamb Institute of Honduras, sending a mission team there coincidentally this week, which is a Christian response and a particular response to some of the neglected, abandoned children of Central America. And on the largest playing field of all, I at least have thought, considered, perhaps the Christian community of Somerville needs to be Mother Teresa and simply say, we'll take them and we'll love on them and send them to us while the authorities are processing whatever they need to process and even if they're being sent back that they are loved on and taken care of, we'll take them. Jesus offers us his yoke resting lightly upon our shoulders. It's in contrast to the yoke of the law and its oppressive legalism that only produces, in the best of circumstances, legalistic, self-righteous people and arrogance. His yoke, however, in contrast, enables us to come alongside of him and learn from him. And what we learn are lessons of faith, hope, love, and obedience. And over time, as we allow the yoke to work with effect, we are changed and transformed by God's grace more and more into his likeness, willing to take up a cross where he leads. May we be one nation under God, and may we be a community of Christians who love the little ones and the disenfranchised of the world in one way or another way, faithfully as Christ would have us love them. Thanks be to God. Amen.